Good afternoon and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Locked On Sound Podcast. As always, joining me today is my co-host and co-partner, Hunter Trumbull. How's it going, everybody? Today we have a very special guest, local firefighter and EMS, and also an enlisted Marine, Gunnar Coda. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. I am super glad to have a guest. It took us a little bit to get there, but, you know, we finally have our first guest on the podcast for Episode 9. Episode 9, finally have a guest. I'm hoping there's more to come. Oh, definitely more to come in the next two weeks. We've got two lined up and on the way. That's great. All right, so I think to get the ball rolling here, we're going to start start off with the Marines. I want to talk a little bit about how it all went, the enlisting process, maps, everything down to the itty-bitty detail. I, right. Anybody out there that doesn't know how it all goes down. Yeah, so uh, it was kind of like a spur of the moment. Um, I went and got a hold of my local recruiter, and he kind of set me up, and I went and took a, a pre-test to kind of see where you're at. Um, I passed that, and uh, I was just kind of like on a like a waiting game. Hurry up and wait um, was kind of a big joke there. And uh, when you say pretest, are you talking physical or like academic? No, or? like an academic kind of, uh, almost like an ASVAB, but not quite to that extent. Gotcha. So, um, went through and did that, and uh, I got a call. I believe it was a Saturday, um, and my recruiter's like, "Hey, you know, would you mind going to Meps tomorrow? Put you in a hotel in Lansing." Um, and I was, it didn't have anything going on, so that worked for me. Um, ended up getting taken to Lansing, um, had to stay in a hotel. Uh, it's like basically a bunch of guys are getting ready to either ship or take maps that next day. Um, and so that was, that was cool. Um, uh, got to stay overnight, met a guy that was going in the air force. Um, he was my roommate and, uh, that next day you show up at maps and it's, it's pretty serious. It's everybody's, you know, you got guys in cami and everything and a bunch of, uh, the Marines and air force and I mean, everybody there that you could think of. Um, and they kind of had you go through and. You have to take a, a medical exam, blood draw, drug screen, um, really detailed physical. Um, we got to do this fun thing that was kind of a joke before I went. It was called the Underwear Olympics. Um, and that's that's a that's a kind of it's a unique experience. You and four other guys in your skivvies um, <laughs> sitting there and uh, and basically they it's like a like a workout almost and she a doctor walks through and checks every little bone and crevice and any anything you could think of on your body. So that was definitely different, but Yep, and then after uh, MAPS, I went through and took my ASVAB. didn't score like I wanted to. I wanted to go uh, crash fire rescue, but, um, of course, I'm not the brightest one in the world, so I scored a 34, um, and so that got me the whopping spot and uh, to try to go to infantry. So. Now, 34 out of what? What is it score? Uh, I don't believe. Probably I don't 100. Know. Yeah. Is it 100? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what the top notch is. I just know that <laughs> <laughs> I barely made it, so but it, it's okay. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited. I did late entry, so they gave me um, until July 12th. Um, finished up some of my schooling, my national registry for my EMT. Um, get that out of the way. Um, but yeah, I'm thrilled. I can't wait to go to boot camp. I think it's gonna be a great time. Oh, we're excited for you. So, where do you know where your boot camp is at yet? Where are you going off to on July 12th? I uh, I do believe I'll get sent to Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, that's kind of my my dad when he went. He got to go to San Diego, um, but I don't believe I'll be able to go there. So I'll probably get sent to uh, Paris Island. Gotcha. That's not too shabby. All right. Uh, I also, I, I heard there was a funny story with your recruiter. I'd like to hear that. How he ended up getting into the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, that was cool. It was uh, it was nice to, to have a recruiter that everybody talks about how, you know, all they want is basically you just sign the paper and everything. But my recruiter was really straight up with me, and uh, 
he was looking for a job in college actually and uh went and he seen the sign and you know said hiring electricians well he didn't think that he thought he was going to like a job fair type of deal um little did he know he was walking into a recruiting office and he didn't know that until he stepped off the uh bus at uh, Paris Island, and I uh, got to call his mom and was like, hey, I got the electrician job. Um, I'm at Paris Island or something, is the way he explained it, <laughs> um, and had no clue that he was he was getting in the military. He said uh, when they got there, people were yelling and stuff, and you know everybody's running off the bus, and he was just confused why everyone was in such a hurry for this for this job fair. You know, It must be crazy how many electricians they need. So <laughs> it was cool to hear that from him, and I know I wasn't getting kind of you know joked around and tossed around, or he wasn't you know yanking my arm with anything. So, so how old was he, the recruiter? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think like 20. I would. I would be so my pretty young guy. Yeah, he was a uh, second second year of college. So for him, gotcha. Uh, yep, he's working on 13 years now. I do believe. So been there for a while. You mentioned that you were uh, allowed time to finish all your EMS schooling and everything like that. So tell us, what do you have left? What do you have now? Yep. So I uh, just got done doing. I did an accelerated program through our local uh, medical academy um, to get my EMT. Got my certificate, passed the class. Now I just have to wait for the state to send all my stuff back so I can go and take my national registry. Um, which will give you the state license and then the national license as well. So that's uh, hopefully that'll come soon. And you've done all that while working at the fire department around here, right? Yeah, yep. So I started off working for Columbia Fire as a cadet when I was the age of 12. Um, spent five years there, and then I switched to Liberty Fire. Um, I've been there for the last two years now. I went through fire school uh, last year. Um, that was awesome, great time. Met a lot of great people, learned some really awesome things. Um, and then I recently just got hired on with uh, Somerset Township Fire Department as well. And you're working both at the same time right now. Right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, they're both uh, paid on call, so now to keep me give us a little bit. What what's the what's some differences between the two? Are there some big differences? Yeah, um, Somerset's call volume is, is way way higher. Um, they are an ALS transporting agency, so they transport all of their patients to the uh, nearest hospital. Um, Liberty, we're not. We're just a first responder program, so um, calls are significantly less. Um, but we we are, we do stay pretty busy. So now you work in the transporting correct since that's somerset yes yes we they transport yep but you're, you're usually in the back of the yeah in the back of the ambulance because uh, until i get my national um, certificate for my emt um, i'm not allowed to be the second partner because you have to have that um so basically i just kind of work with a, with a group of two usually a paramedic and an emt um just try to get as much hands-on time as i can and as much experience so it's a good time now which one do you like more do you like fighting fires or do you like riding the back of the ambulance or well yeah that's like a, i think it's a big joke in the in the fire service world of things is um Everybody thinks, well, you're a firefighter, that's all you do. That might be the case in Detroit, you know, but uh, out here we run a way higher volume of medicals than we do fires, so it's a lot more common to run medicals. I prefer to go to fires. Um, I think they're not so much fun because that's a horrible day for a homeowner, but that is kind of what you're trying to do. So, yeah, I would much rather go to a fire, but... Fire over... Yeah, Somebody's over, yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what, so what's the difference between the actual national certifications? What, what do you actually have to go through to get that? I mean, um, I was told I had to go to Ann Arbor. Um, it's a, I guess it's a pretty crazy test. It's an adaptive test. So basically it kind of goes off of, of how you're doing in the test and how long that's going to be. Um, I've heard it's, it's really tough. Um, so I've been studying hard for it. We'll just see what happens. Um, worst case scenario, if I don't pass, I've, I've like I said, I've got the Marine Corps lined up for me, so I can always come back and give it a try. You know, after my four years. So now you signed on four years active and four years unactive. Yep, four years. Yep, reserve. So I'm not quite sure how that reserve works. If I still have to go to like a camp or like training every couple of months, so I, I don't know either. I haven't been told, so we'll see. But I guess you'll, you'll be the first one to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about it when I get back. <laughs> oh man. All right, so I guess we can move on from there. 
Let's talk a little bit about fire school. I'm curious about your. You said you took your fire uh, school last year. Yep. So, I was I had been hanging around with you a lot while you were taking your courses, and it seemed a little stressful. And yeah. And you had to wait a while to see if you passed the test. Yep. Yep. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I started October 31st. Um, it was a six month class, uh, two or three days. Excuse me, three days a week, two nights, and then uh, a whole Saturday. So it was grueling. You don't have a lot of time for a lot of stuff, and it, it is a lot of studying. I've had. I was shoot almost six and a half years in the fire service world uncertified as a cadet or recruit. Um, and it's it's totally different than what I've been taught hands-on because it's not so much of, of learning how to be a firefighter. I mean, it is, but it's more of learning the book and the rules and regulations and stuff. So it was, I, yeah. it was way different. It was a lot of studying and uh, a lot of, you know, knowing stuff to the book. So it was, it was pretty difficult. But after the six months, like I said, I got to meet a lot of great people. Um, Rich Mead, he's actually a uh, Marine veteran. He's a good friend of mine that I met through that. And it's cool because you meet a bond of guys that you don't know probably for the rest of your life. So so I want to jump back to something you said earlier. You said you were starting off in the fire department when you were 12 years old. So what the heck does a 12-year-old do at a local fire department? Um, it's, uh, it's quite comical, actually. Um, my dad was the assistant chief at the time and uh, the former chief, Sean Lutz, who's now retired. Um, he, uh, I was always around the station, obviously growing up, having your dad be a, be a full-time guy there. Um, so I spent a lot of time cleaning trucks and stuff and just kind of proving to them that, Hey, this is really what I want to do. Um, so I got officially put on as a cadet firefighter, um, at 12 and that was, it was definitely, it was different because you see these guys on scenes and stuff and they're like, who is, you know, is it bring your kid to work day? Um, so <laughs> I, I took some heat for a couple of years and then finally everybody figured out that. Hey, I'm just there to help and do as much as I can. Obviously, you can't have any patient care or anything, or you can't fight interior fire or anything like that. But it was just a lot of learning. I spent five, six years of just, I mean, really just going through and learning how the fire gun operates and just different types of things like that, and observing medical calls and and uh, helping any way I possibly could. Um, but like I said, all the rules and stuff like that, you can't really get super hands on with it. But I got to learn a lot. Um, a former Detroit firefighter, he was my lieutenant for a lot of that time, who is now retired and. That guy, I couldn't say anything more. Uh, Rick Sleeman, senior, um, he, awesome guy, great firefighter, very knowledgeable. So I was, I was blessed to be trained by him. That was cool. So when you were actually a cadet, when you were, you know, twelve to sixteen years old or whatever it was, what was the coolest thing you actually got to do? What, what was little kid you excited to actually do? Um, I probably have to say my first, uh, my first fire. Um, <clears throat> it was cool. Um, it was the Brooklyn Sportsman's Club actually, and. Uh, we were working faster horses that weekend, and I was at the at the station um, with the squad guys, and we got a call for an unknown fire in the area. Um, our brush too was at the track and responded, um, pulled up on scene and, and found a single story single story building fully involved, and uh, that was crazy. Actually, that I was I was in the I was in the John taking a number two, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I come walking out and I didn't have a page or anything, just being a cadet and like, the guys that were on squad are you know they're getting their gear on, getting ready to get in rig. Like what the heck are you guys doing? He goes, we got a you know a possible structure fire, and I thought they were just messing with me, trying to you know put my gear on, and, and then I finally realized I hear the radio in the background of the different departments responding, and I was like, oh crap! So you know, go. I'm freaking out. The adrenaline's pumping in, and and uh, that was it was fun. We pulled up, and I mean, you jumped out of the back of the truck, and it was just you could feel the heat. It was crazy. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I got stuck for five hours that night holding down a uh, hard suction line into a pond so we could have a water supply with another fellow guy from Cambridge uh, Fire Department. So the the whole you know. Me hoping I'd maybe get on a nozzle and actually put out some fire wasn't the case for me, but that's to be expected. Yeah, being you were the rookie on scene, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely the youngest one there. So, but poor guy from Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't no fun, no fun. Yeah. 
sometimes it has to be like that. Um, but yeah, I've caught I've caught some pretty decent fires um, since then. In between the time, um, I've had a we had one shoot six months or not even six months ago now, probably three months ago now, um, over on uh, one of our local roads there in Liberty. Uh, that was my second interior fire. Um, obviously, being paid on call, we don't catch a lot of a lot of fires. Um, it's a lot more medical stuff. Um, but yeah, so we got there and pulled up and had heavy fire in the front door. Um, thought most of the fire was was traveling up the walls into the into the attic space. And uh, me and one other guy from Somerset Township, because they're on our first alarm district. I was with Liberty that night. Uh, made interior attack, and uh, we got to the got to the second floor and had really really hot conditions. Um, no visible flames, but smoke was banked all the way down to the floor. Um, so it was it was hot. Couldn't find the fire, and uh, we spent a bottle just searching for the fire. Um, I think a thermal probably would have helped us. Thinking about it now, um, like one of the little cameras, that, the heat signature, almost like you'd see like uh, on a scope or something. So you guys um, have those on Yeah, too, yeah, we take those. And even the Somerset guys, um, <clears throat> um, some of the officers and stuff and the guys that have been there longer, they actually have them built into their mask. It's a little button they can push and it pops up with these new uh, these new Scott masks. So that's pretty cool. Um, probably should have used that to our advantage and we didn't. Um, but that was that was fun. That was, the, the like I said, the second fire where we had to, we had a, a good interior attack on it, and we saved a good majority of the house after after we finally found the fire. And it was what it was. It was like a half A-frame type roof, and it was burning on both sides and burning up the roof on us. So um, going on with that, I got done with my first bottle and came out and got a got a second one. And we're getting to the, almost the overhaul stage there. And I was, uh, of course, I'm still the proby, um, <laughs> just getting <laughs> certified last year. So uh, my assistant chief with Somerset Township is he's like, hey, come on, rookie, you know, pull the pull that ceiling and. I was like, Chief, I don't. I think I'm gonna puke, and uh, he's like, "Oh, come on!" And you know, kind of busting my balls about it. And uh, <laughs> no, no, he wasn't lying. I uh, went and I had to pull my mask off on the second floor, and he kind of shoved me into a, like a little closet area, and I had to blow some chunks. <laughs> you know, so that was definitely unique. I've never had to puke on a fire before, but I guess I got myself all worked up and probably over overworked myself a little bit. But yeah, got all the nerves racking. Yep, yep. I believe I drove you to that one. Uh, no, that was the one uh, previously. That was a pole ah. barn. Yep, that was so that was three fires before this one. Um, I one twenty seven, and that was a big fire as well. Um, we could see that one from oh out in Jackson. Yeah, we were north uh, north of Jackson, almost uh, like yeah, we were in we're Blackman, north, north, northwest. Yeah, Blackman, Blackman Township. Blackman Township. And uh, our phones went off. Me and my other fellow guy, Gavin Warner, um, phones and everything went off, and we could see it, but uh, we're like, holy shit, you know, we didn't think we were getting called to that, and. Next thing you know, everything starts, you know, active 911, which is like a, it's like an emergency dispatch text that we get to our phones, um, started going off. And, uh, but like you said, we could see that we could see the smoke column. So we ended up leaving the restaurant that we were at and uh, Hunter Diddy uh, drove us all the way back to the restaurant so I could get my truck to respond to respond to the fire. So hauling ass, almost get T-boned. Yeah. <laughs> it's dark. There's cops telling you, you can't go through there. I got two guys in the back telling me, go, 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 yeah, go, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, I do like 100 so. mile an hour by the cops. I'm like, oh my God. Right, right. <laughs> yep. It's not, uh, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm not a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. And you learned right there why they have to have training. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Um, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> yeah we've got a, at our department we have a really i think we i'd say we have a good majority of younger guys um a lot of our guys that run majority of our calls i think we have 19 on our roster and out of those 19 maybe 10 of us are, are fairly active and out of those uh we're, we're a real young young based base group we lost almost 100 years of experience um with retirements last year so um it's it's cool though because you see these young guys come together and we have such a good bond with all all of us and 
it's just nice to be able to know that, hey, you know, even though that we are a young group, uh, a lot of these local departments and neighboring departments that are on our first alarm district, uh, they know that, hey, like, you know, they, we got some young guys that are coming and ready to work. So that's we're fortunate to have that. Now, that's at Columbia or Liberty? That's at Liberty. Liberty? Yep. yep. So, yeah, that's that's another fun thing is getting fight fire with your dad. That's a lot of people, I would assume, don't get to do that. So uh, he's in our first alarm district as well. Any fire that they get and any fire that we have. Um, we are automatically going on the first box, so it's it's fun to roll up on scene and see your old man and you know bust his balls a little bit and bust in mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it helps to have that connection there a little bit too. Yeah. As well. Yep. Yep. And it's almost like a I don't know. It's, it helps you feel a little safer. You've got a guy that's been on the job for 25 years now, and uh, and he's you know he's watching your back and watching his son do work, and so that's it's it's definitely a unique experience. I'm blessed to have that. Yeah, it's definitely a unique experience to have. So now when you get out of the Marines, obviously you're going to be in there for four years, yep. and then however the other four years go, I have mm-hmm. no idea. What is your plan when you come back? Uh, my plan is to go, I want to go to a union department, a full-time department. Um, I'm hoping the city of Jackson will be hiring by then. They've got a great group of guys out there. Um, Summit Township as well. Um, I wouldn't even mind going to the city of Detroit. Everybody says the pay is not the best, but heck, you know, if you're doing a job you love, who cares, right? So um, yeah, that's the plan. I'm going to get some military experience and get some time under my belt and Help me uh, mature as a, you know, and be a better leader. And, and I think the Marine Corps can teach you so many core values and stuff that, that's going to help me along the way within my career in the fire department afterwards. So That's for sure. Now, the military experience does help you on your applications for fire departments. I right? do think so, yeah. I think they give you so many points based on having uh, military experience. And there's a lot of full-time departments out there that are very paramilitary. So they run their departments almost like, you know, not like you're in the military, but, you know, strict rules, dress nice. Um, all about professionalism, so I think that'll help me, and that'll really that'll really teach me what I need to know to, uh, to further my cu- or career in the fire service. So for sure, for sure. All right, well, that's your EMS and your fire history. I guess I'd like to kind of jump into another thing that you used to do, and we don't want to get it too involved in this one. This one can get a little little gross on us, but you used to work for the for the morgue. Yeah, so I worked for a, a funeral home. Um, it was. I have a buddy of mine, Brock Kuhn, um, another a very avid duck hunter, goose hunter. Um, him and I both got an offer to work at this funeral home doing removals. Um, basically, it was you get fifty dollars a corpse, and that was that was it. But yeah, there's uh, you get to see some some pretty disgusting stuff. Um, we've. I mean, I've had fluids on me and stuff, and a lot of times where you're sitting there and gagging and trying to keep it together because <clears throat> of course there's family around and you've got to be as respectful as you can be when you're, when you're doing a removal with the body. So I think it takes a very unique uh, group of people. Um, not so much that we're twisted, but you can't, you know, it's not the everyday Joe's job. So, um, that was, that was a nice experience too. Not just for the fact of re- like removing bodies or the pay or whatever, but to be able to understand what these families are going through and, and try to help them out, um, in the process and letting them know that, Hey, we're going to take as great care um, of them as they as they should be. Um, so that that's nice to be able to connect with the family like that and, um, and just basically try to support them and, and probably one of their hardest days that they'll have. So are you able to tell us a little bit about your most, I guess we'll say, unique experience yeah. working for the funeral home? Um, There's got to be some memories tied yeah. to that that oh, not yeah. the average everyday person gets to enjoy. Right, right. Well, not everybody thinks – it's not always – Hey, you get sick, you go to the hospital and you pass away. It's, you know, there's sometimes where people may not have family or, or friends or anything um, and they don't really have any contact. So we had a call. Um, we actually got warned before we got before we got going that it was going to be pretty gross. So the cop had actually called. Um, this lady was, uh, we think, was there for at least five weeks um, in an apartment complex. 
and she had already like decomposed and stuff and and it kind of just it was like a big soupy mess and so that was it's it's tough it makes it for a very difficult removal on our part um and, and it's 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 horrible it's horribly morbid um honestly but yeah it's you try to do what you can to be as respectful to the deceased and uh there was no family or anything so you couldn't even help on that side of things but it's uh it's very difficult because you're trying to be as respectful and as professional in mannerism as you as you can be with a with a corpse like that but um, obviously, they're not always in perfect condition. So, so what's the protocol for something like that? I mean, you you describe it as soupy, and I'm gonna avoid that for our listeners. But what do you? How do you go in there and deal with that sort of corpse? Um, it's kind of just uh, like a mind over matter. Um, you look at it. Uh, hey, this is this is nature's way. This is life. Um, and you just kind of like I said, just be as respectful as you can about it. Um, and try to try to make sure that everything goes smoothly. And we have uh, certain equipment like disaster bags and stuff that we use um, to help aid us in that type of removal. Um, but yeah, so, and it's, and it's sometimes it's not even uh, the people in general. It's, it's some of the houses that you have to go to um, aren't the cleanest and it's, it's definitely very different. But um, I was blessed to have that, have that career um, and do that for a little bit. Uh, you, it really helps you, I think, helps build you into a person and and be able to connect on with families and stuff, and it almost helped me on the fire department side of things and making it a little easier to see stuff like that. Did those two jobs ever happen to cross over at all? No, no, no. That's uh, yeah, no, that would never. I don't think that would ever happen just because of uh, our our uh, customers or the the area that we covered was more uh, north side of Jackson County. Um, so me working on the south side, we didn't we didn't get called out very often. Um, I'm sure it could have um, if I would have stayed with it a little longer, but yeah. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break real quick just to discuss our sponsors and their amazing contributions to our company. Southern Michigan Waterfowl Chasers and Locked On Sound is brought to you in part by a couple different companies. First up on the docket is Nolan's Poorhouse Coffee Company. This veteran-owned company out of Pennsylvania has some of the best-tasting coffee on the market. From their Fisherman's Blend to their Hazelnut all the way down to their House Blend is all some of the best-tasting coffee you can get. We drink their coffee here in-house and have yet to find a flavor we don't like. Available in whole beans or K-Cups, you can get whatever you desire for your home needs. Alongside them is Apex Paracord. This company has everything from dog leashes and dog collars that you can customize and get their names engraved on, all the way to decoy weights for your water decoys. Their products are available directly on our website, or you can buy from them on their online shop on Etsy. Alright, we're back. Uh, so we've gone over EMS, the Marines, fire school, all that stuff. Now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, your outdoor career. I shouldn't really call it a career, but... <laughs> I wish it was a career. We wish it was a career. If I could get paid, that'd be awesome. But obviously, I mean, you're, you're an avid uh, duck hunter. You deer hunt, you spear, and uh, bow fish, yep. or, you know, for fish, Bowfish for fish? Yeah, bow fishing, yeah. Bow no, fishing, whatever. whatever it is. Ice fish? Uh, ice, <laughs> ice, ice fish like crazy. Yep. You're an avid ice fisherman, yep. which I think is going to be a very interesting topic to get into. There's not a lot of people, I think, that get to ice fish like we do. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Let's. We're going to start off with, uh, I think, deer hunting. Have you have you been successful lately? Uh, no. I wish I could say yes, um, but we, uh, we used to hunt a good chunk over off of Jefferson Road that ended up getting sold. Um, and that, that kind of hurt us a little bit. So all of our, our deer that we were tracking and, and, uh, had picked out for the upcoming years and the ones that we were going to let grow and the ones that were going to get taken down if we had the opportunity, um, 
that kind of all fell through. So I slowed up uh, on my deer hunting quite a bit, actually. Were I still you, go. Were you leasing that land, or no? That was uh, it was a family <clears throat> member that didn't hunt, and so we had that property um, to us. And they recently they had sold and um, relocated. So yeah, but it's uh, it definitely sucks, but it is what it is. Um, I still do. Uh, I go out and I do enjoy it. It's uh, peaceful. Sit in the woods and and just kind of listen. And you know, you're with nature and. And maybe maybe one of these years I'll take down that big buck I've been looking at, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Now, I mean, now for me, deer hunting, it's exciting. It's nice to be out there and be one. Um, Willie's more of the deer hunter of the group, I would say. Yeah, I'm more of the avid deer hunter You're than more of anyone the else in the group. I, I, I don't have the attention span to sit there all day in see. the tree stand and, and kind of wait for the deer. That's why I love duck and goose hunting because yep. you scout, you find them, you go there, you, you can you can talk with your buddies you can and talk, it's, you can sit there yeah. snack and then next right. thing you know you're just blasting away yep. you go through a bo- couple boxes of shells yeah and you're... hopefully you have the same amount of ducks on <laughs> the ground but I don't think that's our case in this no, group no, 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 normally we don't not at all go through two boxes of shells and come out with two yeah. ducks yeah. <laughs> yeah we get a little trigger happy yeah so uh, I mean but that that's my passion that's what I love now deer hunting yeah, it takes a little bit more of a special guy I think to go out there and enjoy sitting there and especially if you're in a place where Maybe you don't see as many deer. It gets a little rough. Yeah. A little rough. But to each their own, I would say. Yeah. Um, now, your, your duck hunting career, you have hunted with, you've hunted with me. I don't think you've ever hunted with Willie. No, I don't believe nope. so. I have hunted with you. Yeah. I have been deer hunting and heard you guys duck hunting. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. true. That's yeah. true. He has yeah. been deer hunting and heard us duck hunting. I will never forget texting you from the blind, and I'm sitting there in my tree stand, and I hear you about... 600 yards away, pop off two rounds, and you two laughing. And I texted you, and I'm like, are you guys duck hunting at Somerset right now? Yep. Yeah, and then I just hear five more rounds go I think off that's, and watch uh, you guys. That might, have, that might have been a coot, if I remember correctly. I don't uh, yeah. Or maybe it was a, <laughs> it was a coot, coot or the mallard that we thought was a coot, one of the two. It was like 10 or 11 a.m. Oh, you yeah. guys no, were I mean, that, 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 morning, was that morning was hilarious, though. It's snowing. I mean, it's a blizzard. I don't even know why we're out on the water. I was soaking wet in my trees. We're freaking soaked. It's cold. It's probably... About 25 degrees and just blizzard. Yep. And we're out on an island, and here comes this duck, and it's it's about 150 yards out, swimming towards us. And obviously, I can't see much of it. I'm no. like, what is that? So it's swimming toward us. Like, I mean, I've, like you've only seen a coot do. Right, I mean, just right. swimming right towards you. Like, holy shit, here he yep. comes. Yeah. Well, he gets to be about 50 yards out. I'm like, damn, Gunner, that's a big coot. I've never <laughs> seen a coot that big. Yeah. Dude, we're freaking sitting there looking at him, and I'm like, well, I ain't going to shoot a coot, obviously, so I'm just going to sit here, and I'll watch him. Well, here he comes. He gets to be about 35 yards away. We should have taken him. He's yeah. a big-ass yeah. duck. Yeah, he should have gotten dropped that day. No, he oh. takes off out of the water, freaking whack, whack, and he's was... gone. I'm like, holy shit, that was a mallard. That was probably one of our most unsuccessful hunts this last season. <laughs> no, um, it, was, it was really bad. It yeah. was bad. We didn't see, I mean, we didn't see shit that right. entire day, honestly. No. No, it was rough. It was, if I remember correctly, it was real late season. Oh, um, it was super. It was uh when it reopens in February. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was. So, or, no, it could have been February. Uh, was deer hunting. Yeah, it, it was January. December. December. I think, or uh, it was uh, like muzzleloading season. If I yeah, if it was I probably muzzleloading season. So late, late December. Late, late December. I was gonna say okay. I was deer hunting, so it had to be late December. Yeah, yeah. Right, that makes more sense. It was late because it was cold. Yep. And it was snowing like a son of a gun. We were tired. It was yeah. It was uh that was one of those that I I don't. Don't miss that. That day sucked. Um, but uh, you can't really say that either. Anytime you're on the water and you get to hunt the ponds, it's it's fun. It's a great time. You're out there with your with your friends and family and and doing what we all love most. So, hell yeah. All right. So you like 
duck hunting more than deer hunting, right? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I started taking my duck hunting stuff way more serious the last couple of years. Um, we've just started shooting trap again um, to get ready for the season. I'm a little late. Um, I don't hunt much early season with fields and all that and, and early goose and just because it's it's a pain to, to find property and, you know, drive around and ask permission. Well, especially this so. year. I mean, you can't. You can't find them in no, the water anymore. Yeah. You have to find a field. Yep, yep. So that, it makes it tough. Um, but I kind of spend this this early season where everybody else is out and lucky and hitting it hard in their nice fields and stuff and their and their a frames. Um, I'm just shooting and getting ready for the season and probably spending a little more too much money than I should be. But um, isn't that always the yeah, case? Yep, hunting's uh, not cheap. Heck no. Now what what do you even think about the whole ammo shortage? That's definitely um, yeah. That's that's going to be tricky. Uh, we went, I went actually this morning to our local sporting goods shop, um, and and they were wiped right out. They had some bunch of 10-gauge stuff for uh, steel shop, but that was it. Um, you couldn't find a box of 12-gauge ammo to, to save your life. So it kind of sounds like uh, we're like kind of scrambling here. We need to start ordering some ammo, I think, off of online and hope to God it'll get here in time. Um, I'm set up for the first part of the season. I'll be okay ammo-wise, but it's definitely going to be tricky seeing they're coming into late season if, these, uh, if the ammo doesn't come start popping back out and hitting the shelves. When all your big manufacturers are saying it's only going to get worse as we get closer to season and yep. closer to Christmas time. and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to it, it's going to change this hunting season dramatic. Oh, yeah. Because yep. a lot of these guys that are looking to get their, you know, they'll wait to the last day. It'll be it'll be the day before opener, and they'll go to get their ammo, and they won't have it. No. There'll yep. be no ammo to have. So there's either going to be a lot of begging and borrowing going on, or there's going to be... Not as many guys out hunting. Right. At least during late season, when the ammo's run short, if you weren't prepared and you weren't ready, I don't. First, unless you're shooting them with a slingshot, I just don't right. think that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say it, but it, it might almost uh, help us out a little bit. Get some of these weekend warriors out of here. Um, <laughs> not to be cruel about it, but um, some of us get a little fed up with the guys that you know never never duck hunt or whatever. And which is you know always great to learn, but when you're out there and Hunter's Orange and stuff, and the rest of us are trying to shoot ducks. It doesn't go for the best of times. Now, time, we have so. had quite a few experiences out there. Because, yeah. of course, we hunt. We don't hunt a lot of private land. We hunt mostly public. So you are dealing with guys that know a heck of a lot more than you, and they're really kill, They're getting into it, but you also deal with guys that they have no idea what they're doing. Yep. They come out in a boat about 30 minutes late. They see your decoy spread, and they start spraying and praying. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whoa, yeah. Or you get the average <laughs> Joe in his, in his metal rowboat that's 15 yards out from your spread and just not really sure what he's doing except for circles around he's the lake. He's just doing and, circles, circles trying yeah, to get the ducks, you know. know. And where we are, the big area we hunt, it's uh, it's all state land. It's not like you, can, you can't have any, like, motorized vehicles down through there. So it's it blows my mind, the, the amount of uh, – I don't know. I don't want to say stupidity, but the uh, <laughs> you know the, the colorful people that we see out there. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of stories out there with people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes it's just crazy to think. My, I think my craziest one was uh, I think if I remember correctly, it was almost four years ago now. And uh, my dad and I were out, and we were hunting that same mile in that spot that we like to hunt a lot. Um, we usually get some good action right there off that point. And we're sitting there, and you start hearing zoom, zoom, zoom. And uh, here it was, is two two fellers that were out uh, shooting squirrels and stuff. Thought that they'd waste the rest of their ammo on the way back up to the truck start firing off across the island well we're out there duck hunting and have 22 rounds going flying past your head that's uh, <laughs> no fun so we had to call the lovely uh, dnr officer out there and and ask them you know ask those guys what the heck they were doing so that was that was definitely a little nerve-wracking having some bullet fly past you and you're out there trying to shoot ducks <laughs> <laughs> oh man now, I, tell, I will tell you what you bring up dnr officers now everybody's favorite guy in yeah green. yeah the guy in green <laughs> 
Khaki pants and green, yeah, man. You gotta yeah. love him. You see him from a mile away. Oh, you're like, yeah. You, you know he's be... seen you three miles before that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, he's been watching you the whole day. You're like, yeah. have I fucked up with all the day? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you got, any, you got any experiences with the DNR? Oh, uh, no. Fishing or hunting? For, or... Fortunately, no. Um, I, I've, uh, I mean, obviously, we don't do anything in our group that, that would be, that would, you know, get us in trouble on purpose. Um, obviously, I know some guys that have had some experiences with life jackets and stuff like that. Um, don't, at, don't at me like that. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, that's just shit. Yeah. Uh, but no, fortunately, um, I got stopped last year. He watched me go out. I usually camp out the, the night before opener, so I'm at my spot that uh, that morning. Um, he watched me go out and, you know, wished me luck and everything. And I did get checked when I came back, and we had a, we had a good a good uh, couple of birds with us. And uh, and he went through, and we all checked out. And so it's, it is nice to see him out there. That way they're making sure – everybody's safe and you don't have guys out there that are you know breaking the rules and stuff so um i do i do support those guys i think what they do is awesome I, the hell of a career choice i think you get paid to go around and see awesome hunting spots um <laughs> yeah. but uh definitely yeah. after scouting job yeah yeah no kidding now i mean now obviously like you brought up life jackets it's pretty rude but it's whatever <laughs> me last year we're sitting there and we're hunting and we come rolling up me and another guy and we're rolling up to it and i i look at him and I go, man, that's the DNR up there. He goes, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. I said, so don't get nervous with me here because I think, well, we should be good. We're good to go. Everything that I can think of, we're all right. We get out. He checks our guns, checks our plugs. He checks whether we got ducks, which obviously we didn't have no ducks. <laughs> that was a sucky day of hunting. And checks our ammo. He, he's going through everything. And he goes, man, everything checks out. You guys are doing a great job. He says, I'm going to send you on your way. He's got to check one more thing. I said, what's that, officer? And he, he says, where's your guys' life jackets? And I'm like, my what? They must have floated away. <laughs> I looked at my buddy and I said, did you bring life jackets? <laughs> he said, no, there's foam in my kayak. Is that cow? <laughs> the, the guy said, is it accessible? <laughs> he says, Sure, if I dig for it a little bit. <laughs> no, we got uh, we got two tickets that day. He fined us. I'm mean, not a happy camper, but it was you know it's breaking the rules. I, I deserved it, and right. obviously I won't forget a darn life jacket again. Yeah, you always yeah. have one when you go out. And but there was about ten guys out there, and out of the ten of us, I think at least six walked up with life jacket fines. <laughs> so yeah. I guess everybody learned their lesson that day. Yep, yep. I guess uh, always have your days. life jacket. I'm I'm the same way. I don't. Some of those guys buy the life jackets that have the uh, the mesh shoulders and stuff, so they can still shoot through them. I can't. I just have to have like a throwable or something. I cannot. I cannot shoot with a life jacket on. Um, going to and fro. Usually, when I get to my spot, I'm not in the kayak anyway. But of course, if you're if you're jump shooting or something, um, it is nice to be able to shoot. So I probably should wear one, but uh, I at least usually have one in my kayak with me. Now I invested into a it's like a lightweight CO2 life jacket. So it's super thin. It's like paper thin, and then there's a CO2 tank in it. Right. The, so that's the bulkiest piece. But it's super lightweight, super thin. There's a cord you can pull. It can it can pull up to 400 pounds right it's a, that's what it says of course i don't i've never tested it yeah <laughs> i don't want to test it let's hope you don't have to do it's a, i mean you can pull 400 pounds so obviously i'm in a kayak i've got waders on it's deep i have no idea how much i would actually weigh had i fall in there but it does give you a chance it's super lightweight you pull the cord and it inflates and hopefully pulls you back up but i invested in that one because it's just nice to have something that thin to wear while you're going out there and not have to have it take up space in your kayak right. if it's like a little pad or something like that mm -hmm. when it's not super bulky and annoying feeling, you know. Right. It's camo, so it blends right in. 
I thought I might be able to shoot with it on, but it just so happens that the CO2 tank is on my right shoulder. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you can't shoot with it on. That doesn't work. But it is nice thought to think because there was a few times last year where we went out and we probably shouldn't. There yeah. was white caps yep. coming up about probably three and a half. And feet. that's uh that that lake that we hunt. It's uh it's a pretty it's a pretty sketchy lake if you think about it. There's a lot of uh, hidden objects and stuff. And oh, we and hit so many logs. Yeah, it's it's the thing. And you're going out at five thirty in the morning or you know five a.m. You can't no, see. Yeah, and, nobody knows where you're at. Next thing you know, you're getting beached up, and it's it's yeah. We do get into some pretty tricky situations out there. I mean that that lake itself is kind of just scary in the fact that it's dark. First of all, yeah. if you go out during a storm, which we did many a times. I mean, best duck hunting I've yeah. had though. It was. Pouring down, down rain or yeah, or yeah. blizzard, except blizzard. for that one day. <laughs> so, I mean, white caps three feet high coming over the over the kayak, and I'm touching water with my freaking elbow and shoulder, sitting there thinking, well, if I go under right now, I, I'm dead. I ain't right. gonna make it because no. these waders are gonna fill up, and I'm, yep. that's it. It's all she wrote, yep. and nobody's gonna have a clue where I went down at. I mean, yep. they, if you you tell your family members, hey, I'm going out hunting, I'm gonna be here, but if you're in the water. You got no clue. Right. I mean, and that's a that's such a place. that's a such a yeah that's a very scary thing. Um, unfortunately for me, I have a, a really good dear friend of mine that uh, lost his dad and brother both in a, in a duck hunting accident where the boat had capsized. Um, so I think yeah, the importance of having a life jacket really is. I mean, that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing. Um, um, it, it sucks. We uh, lost a local radio host in our area uh, last season, correct? Um, yeah, 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 season. Yeah. So he, him, him, and uh, a couple others, I do believe that was uh, that was pretty tragic. We hate to see stuff like that, especially in everybody in the outdoors group, especially the duck hunting group. I think we're a pretty close, close knit group, and uh, everybody's real friendly. So it, it sucks to see somebody somebody lose their life like that. Well, I think it's really easy, especially as young as we are. We go out there, we've done all that work, all that preparation, yep. and it's storming. And you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get on the ducks today hard. Right. But I think you also got to sit there and think, okay, is, it, is shooting a duck worth my life today? Yeah, think it's safety. I yeah. mean, there's certain points definitely where we've went out and we shouldn't have been there. It, mm. We're lucky that we even made it that far and we're able to hunt and get out of there. Right. Because, I mean, there was a few times it was scary. Yeah. I mean, you're touching oh, yeah. water, you're taking on water. You can't row any faster. You right. can't go anywhere. And that's, um, uh, I think, you know, I don't, if I could ask you guys a question, the, the whole thing between, you know, kayak hunters and uh, guys out there in, in big boats, like duck boats. I mean, I mean, what do you guys, have you guys been in a, in a big boat before? Or? I've been in a few big boats, yeah. I've never hunted from a big boat. Any of the duck hunting I've done has been from kayaks. From a kayak, shore, yeah. So. I've, uh, yeah, I've uh, had the opportunity to do both, and I almost prefer the kayak hunting a little more. You're, it's a... Uh, a little more sneakier, and you can kind of, like I said, you can jump shoot, and it's easier if shit if you don't have a spot you can if you can get up and stand, you can you know you can back your kayak in and you can hide it a lot easier. I, I like the kayak hunting just for the simple fact of the hidden hidden action. Yeah. you can kind of back it in. You can just sit there too. Right. Well, the only time it's not fun is when you're you know you're shooting in the middle of the lake and as you're trying to lead your duck, you're getting spun in circles after each shot. <laughs> that's yeah. no fun. But no, that's no but, fun. Uh, but, I mean, I haven't hunted on like anything super fancy boat wise, big boat wise. Right, you know, it's right. all been still. John, I shouldn't say John boat, bigger than John boat, but they're not extremely nice, right? Real comfortable to sit on. I prefer kayak too because it's only me in it, yeah. And I can kind of, I can control my yeah. movements. Yep. I don't like it when you're in a boat. I, I'm not a big fan of everybody's tipsy boats yeah, anyways, tippy and, and then somebody says, "Oh, duck," and right. everybody leans the same Jumps way, and you're just and like, "Oh, yeah. God, shoot. yeah, yeah." Not feeling like falling in the water today, guys. <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah, no, that's uh, no fun at all. Uh. Uh-uh. And then we, t- I mean, we took a big boat out onto that lake, and we're, we're right around here, unless you're going out onto some of our bigger lakes, 
kayak gets you further anyways. There's some places you need to get out, right. go above land, and go back onto the other uh, side, the go water. across the dike. Yep. And big boats just don't do that. No, you no. Can't, and it's, it's it. nice to be able to, you know, you really don't have to pack much up. I mean, really, it's just a kayak. You can drag it out with you. And you don't have to worry about trailering anything or, you know, Throw gas out of your truck or fuel. And call it a day. Or, yeah, yeah. That makes it, <clears> that makes it pretty nice. Um, some of these new kayaks that, that, that I've seen um, come out, they're like, my dad, for one, he's uh, he's an avid duck hunter as well. And he's got, I call it the USS Coda. Um, that thing's like the size of the Titanic. It's huge. Um, it's like a luxury, luxury, <laughs> a luxury kayak. Um, crazy. You can stand up in it and everything. And that's, that's, I don't, I'm not fortunate to have one like that. I'm just in a little a sun dolphin that's spray painted. <laughs> but, uh, and you, you see these, uh, the, what are the little, they sell them down here at our, uh, at Shoepex there. What do they call those? The kind of, they're more open, but those are, those are really nice. I might, I might look into getting one of those here in the upcoming years. Um, just invest into it a little bit. So, but yeah. So while we're on the topic of boats and everything, I mean, you do a lot of bow fishing and stuff like that in this area, and a lot of a lot of people around the country don't get those opportunities for carp and pike and stuff like that that yeah. we do. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my other favorite things. I think that's a close second right behind duck hunting, um, shooting fish. That's it's a blast. Uh, spearing as well. Um, I don't do much of it through the ice, um, but I do I do shoot a lot throughout the summer and the spring. And uh, spawn was crazy. We had a we got fortunate. We had a local river by us. We weren't even on the lake. We found a, a river. And they were spawning while well, it was so shallow. They were kind of getting stuck up. The carp were, um, and we just put the hammer down to them. And of course, there's no there's no limit in our state or anything with that with carp wise. Um, so we just kept sticking them. And I think we got to the total of like almost 30, 40 of them. And that was that was that was with two shooters. So that was a great day. You're covered in blood and smell disgusting, but it makes for some some really fun memories to sit there and shoot fish. Um, like you said, a lot of people probably don't get to do that or never even probably heard of it. Um, yeah, so for a lot of the people that don't know, we have a big problem with carp in our area and in the state of Michigan where one carp lays about 150 to 300 eggs a year. So they take over lake populations a lot. So DNR loves it when guys like us go out on, you know, on shores when they're spawning or kayaks or we got, you know, big boats that are lit up with LEDs all the way around and your arrow from your bow is attached to a string and you've got 25 feet and you shoot it and reel it back in just like you would a fishing pole and throw yep. the fish in your boat and dispose of the fish later. Yeah. There's no really good eating in them. I mean, no. I've heard of a couple people eating them, but they're trash fish. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you like brine them and stuff, but it's definitely, it's a, it's a sport. It's like, it takes archery to a whole nother level. I mean, a lot of the time you're moving, um, either at a troll, water. Yeah, at a troll space mm-hmm. or, you know, of course we do our bridge shoot, bridge shoots and stuff. Um, but yeah, like most of the time it's, it's from a moving boat and when you're cruising at five mile an hour or three mile an hour and slinging an arrow at a fish that's underwater. And of course the, the depth perception and everything's off. So you got to get used to your aim and stuff. But and it's you got a, the angle of the light coming yeah, out of the water. Yeah, it's a, it's a blast though. We have a, we have a real good time doing it. Um, I think a good majority of our group around this area, a lot of us, a lot of us do shoot fish. Um, and that, that kind of makes up for that, that off season when we're not shooting ducks or anything and you can't ice fish. And so that kind of gives you something to do throughout the summer. Yeah, for sure. Gives you another reason to break the bow out yeah, when it's 90 yeah. degrees outside. Another reason to spend more money that we don't need to. Yeah, I think that's the truth. <laughs> expensive hobbies are yeah. definitely on our list. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's all we got is expensive hobbies. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I have a cheap hobby. No, nope. I don't think so. I do either. Not at all. No. Uh, that's why I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> so getting on to ice. Now, the la- la- last year we had great ice. Yeah. Ice fishing was amazing. Was, the year before, year. we had shit ice. Yeah, we had about sucked. two weeks where you could fish, and yep. other than that, the ice and was And even that, not, those two weeks, were it was were sketchy. sketchy. Yeah, you there was uh, about three inches of ice, yep. and you better hope to God that it was holding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this year we were. We were really fortunate to have uh, the timing worked out perfect. The, the, the fish were active still. 
Um, and we hit them pretty hard this season, I would say. We had a, we had a good time. Um, actually, I was fortunate enough to be able to build the ice fishing channies for our local uh, our local sports shop here in uh, Brooklyn, and that was that was cool to be able to do that and see all these new bottles of clam and stuff and Chappelle shanties coming out, and actually how they go together because you're the one building them for the customers, um, and that's the the technology and stuff and the advancement of how these ice fishing shanties have gotten is is unbelievable. Um, they just so much warmer. They have built-in lights and different types of carriers and holders, and it's like a little mini cabin on the water, so it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, hitting the hard water is probably one of my my close the uh, third favorite thing to do. But it's uh it's definitely it's uh it's, I don't know it's a it's a blast. Now you got into it pretty hard last year. Yeah, yeah, we had a we had a really good season. We had uh three or four different different times where we uh, hit a hit a limit with everybody we had with us. Um, that's pretty uncommon for us around here, um, just because like ice conditions and stuff, and and the timing isn't always perfect here in Michigan. So um, I wanted to go out to Wisconsin and do a trip out there, but I hadn't had the opportunity to yet. Um, I've heard it's a blast, but here we, we do have a really good time. You always you have your tip up festivals and stuff, and people racing dirt bikes and quads and stuff on the ice, and and that's it's always awesome to go out there and, and see that. So we had a great we had great ice this yeah. year. So I mean, I got out and went ice fishing a few times. Me and Willie went a few times. Yeah, I gave more to the fish than I actually got to take out of the water. So that wasn't <laughs> great. I actually had a pretty I had a pretty decent year fishing. Uh, I mean, Willie lost his thousand dollar iPhone down the hole. So that was that cool. wasn't a great day. Yeah, that was, I did that that was the time. last day that I went ice fishing for the year. So After that, I was kind of done. Two years ago, I did the same thing. I had bought the, the iPhone. I don't know, what is this? This is the same phone. Actually, I got it back. Um, we were on the water for five minutes, and of course, I had it in my in my pocket of my uh, pants there, and I bent over the hole to look down, and oh, sure enough, there it goes, like usual. Couldn't have fallen. You've got an eight inch hole that, and the rest is all hard ice, and it, it picks the eight inch hole to go into. Yep. Um, and I watched it go all the way to the bottom, and, and light my my screen light up, and. Uh, I ended up having to go home, and we cut cut the hole out where the shanty was, and I, I took a uh, pool skimmer with a fishing net and two lag bolts and some electrical tape, and jerry-rigged this thing together, and uh, and it, it did work, and I got my phone back, and sure enough, as soon as it came up out of the water, screen popped on, notifications came through, and <laughs> so I hit my music button real quick and hit play to push it out of the speakers and threw it in some rice, and I've had the same phone for going over a year now, so I can't believe I got it back, but... <laughs> Yeah, so it's definitely never fun to lose your phone in the ice. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, <clears throat> makes for a, a pretty bad experience on the on the water that day. Yeah, it does. So, what kind of hunts do you have planned for this year? Do you have any big trips up north or down south or out west or anything planned? Yeah, uh, we threw around the idea of maybe going out to like uh, Montana or something, or excuse me, Missouri this year. Uh, maybe Sodak, South Dakota. Uh, maybe trying to get on some snow geese, but uh, we'll see if that happens or not. Um, I'd like to go before my ship date. That'd be cool. Get a, one big hunt out of the way. But I do plan on hunting at least the middle zone. Um, I'm going to try to get to the north zone for us in the UP there. Um, it's always fun to be able to hit three different opening days. It's, it's always a blast. So last year, we didn't have a great experience in the in the middle zone um, up in like Cadillac area. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a bad weekend, but the, the ducks weren't there like we wanted them to be. So it was kind of weird. The, the weather was weird. It got warm quick and and uh, it was just, yeah, it was kind of made for an awful opening day up there. But we still had fun. It's about the memories and, and getting out with your pals and, and uh, shooting some ducks before everybody else. So, I think the weather, I, I don't know, I, I want to ask your opinion on the weather last year. We had a very weird, where it was hot for a second, and the ducks kind of were forming weird. Mm-hmm. Then it dropped super cold really quick, and we got good hunting for about, a week and a half, two weeks, yep. and then all of a sudden, there was nothing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I don't know what the flight patterns and stuff were last year. 
and uh, I, it was yeah, I agree. It was it was a weird year. Um, we still had fun. We still killed some ducks, but it wasn't like the the previous years. Um, opening day was even a little slow. Uh, we we still hit our limit on wood ducks and stuff, but yeah, it was it's uh, I don't know. That's that's goofy. Hopefully this year is different. We can kind of keep this like this temperature now. This cool breezy would be perfect for an opening weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. I think last year was weird. Opening day was the opening. I would say the opening probably first two two and a half weeks were very weird. It was yeah. hot. Yep. And it was getting cold at night, but it was hot, hot during, hot the, during day. the day. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously. See, I think by like 10, 10 a.m. Uh, opening morning, shoot, we were sweating. Um, yeah. And I was I was starting to peel off my my morning clothes and stuff and and taking off my coat. It, it got warm pretty quick. I will say November was about. The best month I've had duck hunting in a long time. Right. A good month of November. But by the time we hit December to mid-December, we started really finding it hard to find the ducks because everything had frozen up. All the water was gone. Yep, yep. And obviously we, do, we don't run ice eaters or, or anything like that no, like we could. No. But um, it was just hard to find them, you yeah, know, because yeah. there, there was no water. They were gone other than on some of these cut corn fields and stuff like that yep, yep. they were podding up some of our it was i think at the at the very end of the late season um we were looking in and uh lake columbia one of the private lakes around us it uh it had one little bay that was open and i bet there was every bit of 600 ducks and geese in that one little pocket just you know trying to hold it off before their, their uh, flight down south so it was it was a little it was a little different this year but hopefully hopefully this year's better i uh, yeah i hope so i mean and now i heard I heard through the grapevine that weather-wise, it should be better this year, but we never know. Yeah, Mother Nature seems to uh, always surprise us here in Michigan. If uh, all of you guys that are listeners that aren't from Michigan, um, it could be snowing one minute and 85 degrees and sunny the next. So, uh, who really knows? Yeah. Like last week, I mean, yeah. the feels like temperature reached 109, and then now at night, you're wanting to turn your heat on. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, the past couple nights, we've gotten down into the 40s. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then during the day, we're in the nineties. It's it's a weird. Michigan temperature definitely does not do great for waterfowl. It's like you know you see those memes <laughs> on Facebook where it's like uh, you know fool's summer or whatever or fool's fall and and then the next week's hell. So we'll see if that's uh, true. You know the Facebook gods if they're if they're lying to us or, <laughs> or not. But <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg is yeah, lying to you. Yeah, not. yeah. <laughs> see, most of the time I end up more in Facebook jail, so yeah, I don't get yeah. to see that kind of. I stuff get all uh, the time. I get fact checked uh, quite a bit. Quite there. a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. I'm yeah. always getting fact checked. I'm always fact checking the fact checker though. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be. He's never. No, no, right. no, no. I don't think so. Either. I think he's just doing it just to just to mess with us. Just because um, you want to cite the Washington Post, you can suck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that's yeah. another interesting thing that can affect this duck season a lot is COVID and how everything like that's going to play out. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, well, well, we can talk about Canada because now you can't go to you can't go to Canada and hunt. Right. They shut that shut that down. Quick. Yeah, and if they if they will open it up, I mean, who knows? But still, you don't think. You don't have time to plan or anything like that. It's not like you just go over to Canada. I mean, I suppose you could just go over and shoot ducks and come back, but for us, that's a little bit of a trip. So I, I don't, I don't think they're gonna open it. They thought about it for a second, opening it up, and inevitably decided that they didn't want to do it. Unless you can get over there if you're vaccinated, and it's for a, it's got to be for a business reason, a business related reason. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a business from shooting ducks. So yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> who knows though? I actually know somebody. You know, they're being pretty strict about it. I know somebody who just beginning of August actually crossed the border and got caught for being an American over there, and they deported her. And then she snuck back over again, like the next week, to see her sister who's kind of ill. So 
Yeah, they're being un- pretty strict. That's about unfortunate, it. especially these people that have family over in Canada and stuff, and not being able to see your family or entrapped or people that even come over to to Michigan for college and stuff. I mean, these people haven't, you know, a lot of them have probably haven't seen their family in, in over a year now or since this whole shebang all started. So yeah, I'm kind of tired of hearing the COVID word, honestly. Um, my personal opinion, I wish. I mean, it's it's horrible what's going on and everything, but. I'm ready for it to be over. Things will go back to normal. If it's anything uh, duck season-wise, COVID-affecting, like it is boating season and stuff, I mean, shoot, you can't find a jet ski or a boat in a in a shop right now to save your life new. I mean, they're buying everything up. So maybe we will see more hunters hit the field this year, which is which is always cool. Um, more people out hunting, the better, pushing the birds around and stuff. So uh, that'll, be, that'll be interesting to, to see. Well, and I definitely think you saw more new hunters last year just because everyone was sick of being cooped up in their house. They were ready to do something outdoors. Exactly. I think that's the big question for this year. How many returning hunters do we we get? I don't know. Are we going to have the same? I I feel like last year there had to have been a boom of hunters. I'm saying the the overall hunters probably go up. From what they were two years ago, yeah. I think you see a lot of them return, yeah. and which is, I think is great. I mean, more people getting out in the woods and enjoying, enjoying the time to, to take an animal, and you know, and it's just it's awesome. I think for sure. Now, from my perspective, last year, the first two weeks, that's about all you got to get through, and your hunting your hunting population of, of hunters out there drops by about ninety percent. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Once once there's snow on the ground, a lot of people are like, ah. As soon as it's cold, maybe I don't need it to go get it. Like, nah, I'm yeah. not feeling that. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you start. To yeah, you start getting your your uh, your migratory birds and stuff, and and the teal numbers are popping up and stuff, and that's that's cool. We maybe get the chance to get on some buffalo head and whatnot, but yeah, uh, we'll see. I agree. I think. Uh, like I said, the weekend warriors, it's always comical to see those because the the hunting group from October to uh, late season there is uh, significant, excuse me, significantly less. So, yeah, Yeah, definitely is. I think, I think it's just interesting. It's almost more fun to go people watch sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really is. Because I mean, it's, there's nothing you can do. And obviously I'm not, I wouldn't fight nobody over, over no spot or nothing like that, you know, but we've been sitting there and you'll have somebody, they can clearly know you're there and there they go. Their boat put 10 feet from you. And they're like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. And you're just kind of sitting there like, well, Really? Not as well now. <laughs> not, not very good. There goes uh, there goes the hunting day. <laughs> yep. I mean, we've we've kicked people off the lake before. I mean, we've we we have told people they need to leave. I mean, they've come out in all orange, yep. a bunch of kids. They're 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 not there to kill ducks. They're there to hoot and holler and yep. be someone pain in the ass. Oh yeah. Shooting. I mean, I've been shot. From a di- obviously from a distance. Oh yeah, I've gotten oh, yeah. peppered a couple times, and that's couple that's times. always enough to, to really boil your blood and piss you off. That'll get that. you real pissed off real fast. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, uh, us, uh, I've got one story. I'm sitting there with my uncle, and there's a bunch of kids across the across the point. They're probably I don't know, 100 yards away. They came in real late, really late, about 45 minutes after shooting light. So I'm like, ah, these guys are fucking crazy. What are they doing? You know, they haven't shot anything all morning. They're hooting and hollering. I think they're just there to party. I'm yeah. like, I don't know why you chose to come out here today. It's right. opening day of duck season. Right. But whatever. We're sitting there. They get in their boat. And they're rowing towards us. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, ducks on the water. And they shoot. And I'm like, where are these ducks are talking about? Next thing you know, my expensive decoys are getting freaking just <laughs> ramrod <laughs> from these kids about 40 yards away. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit. So I start yelling at these guys. I'm like, what are you doing? Those are fucking decoys. And they're like, oh, we didn't know they were decoys. Yep. You couldn't see they weren't swimming? Yep. 
That's like yeah, I, like even on our on our big our big water here, um, you see people coming up in boats and stuff and taking pictures and you're kind of sitting there in your camouflage and you're blind giggling because they're taking pictures of a plastic decoy. So, <laughs> you know, they don't know any, any different. So <laughs> yeah, they're like, Oh, it's a beautiful goose. Majestic. Yeah. Yeah. Majestic. I guess that's, right I guess there. that's why they cost us $120. For I guess so. Them. <laughs> yeah, it's Those mojos are really paying off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, I have been watching a lot of videos of dove hunting and, and I'm kind of, I, I love dove hunting. I am, pissed off that the goddamn elderly people of the state of Michigan have not allowed me to go hunt. Yeah. It's been up to vote. They said no. I don't know why. They gotta feed them all their goddamn thistle seeds and shit so they can shit in my field and I have to get it all out of there when I plant. Right. So that's cool. <laughs> but no, I can't shoot the damn delicious thing. I gotta just watch it. Yeah. We have yeah. a lot of followers on our Instagram that dove hunt lately and seeing the amount of birds they take out of the air opening that's, week that's is just insane. Cool. That's like the same thing as uh, sandhill cranes. I mean, ribeye in the sky. Why can we not blast yeah. those? We're that's supposed to be able so to many of them around. within the next couple of years. I was gonna say there's two there's two birds, doves right. and sandhill cranes, that a lot of other states get to hunt. It looks like so much freaking fun. We have so many sandhill cranes. Oh, I thought about getting a kill uh, kill tag through the through the DNR. We have two of them that are at our fire station. That I mean, our, we're pretty rural, um, and they come up. Well, we just recently attended our windows on our doors there, and these things come up. Well, they see their, their reflection. I'm like, I mean, you really that stupid? And so they start pecking at our glass doors and stuff, and scuffing it up and ruining the tent and everything out of our, out of our fire station. So here I am at six o'clock in the morning. I've got another hour until and shift change or whatever, and squads everything's up, and uh, I'm getting woken up because because of a sandhill crane banging on the door <clears> at six a.m. So that's it's a hell of an alarm clock. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> now, I I would like I would like for them to rethink. I don't exactly know the dove. The dove to me is bullshit. Anyways, that was voted on. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to hunt doves here. I don't I don't really care. If you want to put a limit on them or whatever you want to do, right. go ahead and do it. I don't care. I should be able to shoot those, though. We have a plentiful amount of doves around here. Yep. I have no idea if it was just when the when the vote happened, the voters didn't show up, and we just all it was was a bunch of tree huggers telling me I can't shoot doves now. Right. And I want to sit there and feed them bread. Yeah. Like, bread ain't good for them, Linda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Dove, I don't understand. The sandhill crane, I'm not well versed on exactly why they've kept them. I'm not. I feel like sure we have either. a lot of them. Though. We have. You a, see them we everywhere. have a lot of them, and they're starting to destroy crops. Yeah. Our crops are starting to get destroyed by these these sandhill cranes just sitting there because they'll flock up and just destroy a field. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I heard so Tennessee, I believe, has it has now a date to kill them. It's working its way north. I know Texas. You know you get to shoot them down there. Oh, what in Texas can't you shoot? In my yeah, opinion, those true. guys are those guys are very fortunate from that's Texas. Like, so you can shoot about anything you want. Yeah, down there. yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yes, you can. You gotta love the good old state of Texas. So, but I, I don't know the whole reasoning behind why we haven't been able to do it yet. I don't know if their flight pattern or they want us. I know they they do nest here in Michigan. We have a plentiful amount of nests and, right. and baby sandhill cranes hatching. So that might also have something to do with it. I don't know if they they let them flock up and then head south. But there's got to be something done because I know that they destroy fields, and you can go get a kill tag through the DNR as a as a um, for agricultural use. Right. But I feel like it goes totally to waste. You you can kill a certain amount of them if they're doing damage, but you can't keep the body. Right. You have to take it back. Yeah. Tagged to the DNR office, and then they take it. Well, where's it go? Yeah. You just throw it in the pit. Throw Probably. The trash? Yeah, wasting it. Which is I mean I'm not a. I'm not a big believer in just killing stuff just to kill it. I mean, I think if we can kill it, like, you know, we should be able to eat it too. Well, I so. think if you've killed anything, you should eat it. Yeah. If you if you personally can't eat it, 
or don't have the room for it. There's a lot of people that can. Yeah, I, that's one thing I've never understood. I know. I'll this. take I'll take all the venison that's free going around. <laughs> there's oh, yeah. a lot of there's a lot of stories out there though. A lot of these big hunting lodges that have you come out. You know that you shoot massive amounts of geese or doves or whatever yeah. you're hunting there. They just let them go to waste. Yep. You shoot them. They get their video, they get their views, they get their popularity, they got their Instagram pictures, they're looking all fancy, right. and then they set them next to the barn and they sit there for a week and they're junk, yeah. they're gross, they throw them away. What, to me, what's the point? Why are you out there? Yeah. What do yeah. you, what do you, that's, that's not the point of hunting. No, it's not. It's really not. And that's, it's sad that you do see that so commonly. Um, I even I even know some people that are the same way that they love nothing more than go out and shoot 15, 20 different birds and stuff and and then they don't want to they don't want to take the time to, to clean them and process them and, and I mean what does it take ten minutes to breast a bird yeah. out? Well, it doesn't take long at all. We we deal with it a lot with geese. You have a, you'll take you'll go with a couple guys and you'll they'll all shoot their limit and then next thing you know they're like I'm just gonna give my I'm gonna give my birds away. Yeah, you can have my birds. Like, yeah. And then next all, thing you know, you you're know, cleaning all you're, all the birds. You're cleaning and, all the birds. And you're like, wait, I didn't shoot these birds. Right, you know, my right. possession limit's so high, I yeah. can't have that many. Yep. And I'm like, I didn't shoot them. And you know, you if you just want to go out there to pull the trigger and kill something, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're oh, not yeah, be out investing there. some clays or something, and just and yeah. just stick to that. I was gonna, I, yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason to go out there and just pull the trigger and then come no. back home and just give your stuff. You know, right? Let it go to waste. Yep. All right, well, it was definitely nice to have you today. Well, appreciate we appreciate it. Thank you, you guys coming out. Yep, thank you. Super nice to have a guest. It was, it was. And there's much more to come over the next coming weeks, so make sure you guys pay attention. And with that being said, uh, I think it's time to announce some new sounds we have on our docket for stuff that we can sell you guys in call. So I'm going to go ahead and go down our list of sounds we have in total. We've got three different kinds of ducks now. Go ahead and explain the three kinds of ducks we have. So we've got three different kinds. We've got our timber... For anybody hunting, uh, obviously we don't hunt timber here in Michigan, but um, if you're wanting a softer call, something to really be finessed, you know, real close to you, then that's where you want to be. Open water, comeback call, hail calls all day long, and they'll hear you from a while away. They are loud and obnoxious, uh, you know. Um, and then we've got our woody whistle, and our, our woody whistles are just starting to pick up. People are really starting to, to like them and get, getting their hands <clears throat> on them a little bit. Great sounding there. We've got geese. Uh, we have Canadian and spec. We we sell a lot of Canadian geese calls. A lot of Canadian geese calls. We sell a lot of spec calls. Obviously, we don't hunt spec here really, but uh, over to our west and down south, they hunt a lot of them. And then now we're starting to get into some new sounds. So yeah, we've got some new sounds hitting the docket. So we announced last week or the week before, I don't remember which one, that our whitetail grunt calls have officially hit the market. So you guys will start seeing some pictures of those up on our Instagram as well and the sound profiles on our website. But those are picking up steam very quickly as we get into the uh, deer season around here especially. But we've also got some cow out calls. Uh, squirrel, rabbit, and predator calls are also all now available. So those sound bites will be up soon. You guys can see some pictures of those hitting the market soon. About does it. And that about does it for today. So thank you for coming out again, and uh, we appreciate you, and uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. And as always, go out and buy some calls.